0: Section two of A Daughter of the Sioux. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rhodey. A Daughter of the Sioux by General Charles King. Chapter two. Absent from duty. For a moment, the major stood in silence. Then, briefly saying, "Call Captain Ray." turned again to the dimly lighted hallway of his commodious quarters the women thought it such a shame there should be no lady of the house for the largest and finest of the long line known as officers row while the sergeant of the guard scurried away to the soldier home of the senior cavalry captain on duty at the post when the major again came forth his field-glasses were in his hand and he had hurried down the steps and out into the broad sheen of the moonlight, when he caught sight of the courier seated on the horse-block at the gate, wearily leaning his head upon his gauntleted hand. Webb stopped short. "'Come right in here, my lad,' he cried. "'I want to speak with you,' and followed slowly by the soldier. He entered his parlour and whirled an easy-chair in front of the open fireplace." "'Sit right down there now, and I'll be with you in a minute,' he added, bustled into the rear room, and presently reappeared with a decanter and glass, poured out a stiff tot of Monongahela. "'A little water?' he asked, as the trooper's eye brightened gratefully. "'A little water was added, and off came the right-hand gauntlet. "'I drink the Major's health and long life to him.' "'said the soldier, gulping down the fluid without so much as a wink. "'Then, true to his training, set down the glass and stood strictly at attention. "'You've had nothing to eat since yesterday morning, I'll be bound,' said Webb. "'Now, I've got to see some of my officers at once. "'You make yourself at home here. "'You'll find cold beef, bread, cheese, pickles, milk, if you care for it, "'and pie right there in that pantry.' "'Take the lamp in with you and help yourself. "'If you want another nip, there's the decanter. "'You've made splendid time. "'Did you meet no Indians?' "'Not one, sir, but I saw smokes at sunset out toward Eagle Butte.' "'Your name. I see you belong to Captain Truscott's troop.' "'Kennedy, sir, and I thank the Major.' "'Then I'll leave you in charge until you've had your fill,' said the commander. Then go over to F. Troop's quarters and get a bed. Tell anybody who comes I've gone to the Flagstaff. With that the Major stalked from the room, followed by the Irishman's adoring eyes. A moment later he stood by the tall white staff at the edge of the northward bluff, at whose feet the river swept by in musical murmurings. There he quickly focused his glass and gazed away westward up the platte, to where but the evening before a score of Indian lodges dotted the other bank, perhaps two miles away. The September moon was at its full, and in that rare cloudless atmosphere flooding the valley with its soft silvery light, so that close at hand, within the limits of the garrison, every object could be almost as distinctly seen as in broad daylight. But farther away, over the lowlands and the river-bottom and the rolling prairie stretching to the northern horizon the cottonwoods along the stream or in the distant swales made only black blotches against the vague colourless surface and the bull bluffs beyond the reservation limits south of the flashing waters the sharp saw-like edge of the distant mountain range that barred the way to the west Even the clean-cut outlines of Eagle Butte, the landmark of the northward prairie, visible for fifty miles by day, were now all veiled in some intangible filament that screened them from the soldier's searching gaze. Later in the season, on such a night, their crests would gleam with radiance almost intolerable the glistening sheen of their spotless crown of snow all over this broad expanse of upland prairie and wooded river-bed and boldly undulating bluff line not so much as a spark of fire peeped through the wing of night to tell the presence of human wayfarer white half-breed or indian even where the sioux had swarmed perhaps two hundred strong at sunset of the day gone by close at hand northernmost of the brown line was the double set of quarters occupied by Captains Blake and Ray, the latter as senior, having chosen the half nearest the bluff because of the encircling veranda and the fine, far-extending view. A bright light gleamed now behind the blinds of the corner room of the second floor, telling that the captain was up and dressing in answer to the commander's summons, but all the rest of the dozen houses were black, save where at the middle of the row a faint glow came from the open doorway at the commanding officers across the broad level of the parade were the long low barracks of the troops six in number gable ending east and west closing the quadrangle on the south were the headquarters buildings and the assembly room the offices of the adjutant and quartermaster the commissary and quartermaster's storehouses, etc. At the southwest angle stood the guard-house, where oil lamps, backed by their reflectors of polished tin, sent brilliant beams of light athwart the roadway. Beyond these low buildings the black bulk of the Medicine Bow Mountains, only a dozen miles away, tumbled confusedly against the sparkling sky all spoke of peace, security, repose, for even in the flats under the westward bluff, where lay the wide-extended corrals, hay and woodyards, and the stables, not one of the myriad dogs that hung about the post was lifting up his voice to bay the autumn moon. Even those easily started night trumpeters, the big Missouri mules, sprawled about their roomy, sand-floored stables, and drowsed in placid comfort, wearied with their musical efforts of the earlier hours of the night, and gathering impetus for the sonorous braying with which they should presently salute the dawn. Beyond the guard-house, at the edge of the plateau overlooking the westward flats, but invisible from the flagstaff bluff, stood the big wooden edifice known as the Store, with its card and billiard-room for the officers on the southern side, another for the enlisted men upon the northern, the bar and general merchandise establishment compressed between them. Southward, farther still, surrounded by crude greenhouses abounding in potted plants and beds of vine and vegetables, was the big and somewhat pretentious house of the post-trader himself, his own stables and corral being halfway down the slope and well away from those of the garrison. Out of sight, muttered Webb, but by no means out of mind, for it was safe to say the thoughts of more than half the men and women making up the social element of Fort Frayne had been centering within the last few days beneath the roof that gave shelter to that brilliant, fascinating beauty, Nanette Flower ten days a denizen of the fort it seemed as though she had been there as many weeks so completely had she accepted the situation and possessed herself of the ins and outs of garrison life the women had called of course and gone away filled with unwilling admiration for the girls gowns and graces were undeniable the married men as was the army way had called with their wives on the occasion of the first visit. The bachelors, from Webb down to the junior subaltern, had called in little squads at first. Afterwards, except the major, they sought to see Miss Flower when other fellows were not present. Even Hartley and Donovan, the two whose devotions to Esther Dade had been carried to the verge of oppression, and who were on terms of distant civility, only when compelled to appear together in the presence of women or their other superiors, had been moved to more than one visit at the Hays, but Hartley speedily returned to his undesired siege at the quarters of Captain Dade, while Donovan joined forces with two other youngsters, Bruce and Putney, because it gave them comfort to bother Field, who, being the adjutant and a very busy man, could visit only at certain hours of the day or evening. Now it had become apparent to the boys that, despite her general attitude of cordiality, their attentions were not what Mrs. Hay so much desired as those of the major commanding. Twice had he been invited to dine within the week of Nanette's coming. Once he accepted, the second time he begged off on plea of a previous engagement subsequently made to go shooting with blake it was the bachelor heart and home of major webb to which mrs hay would have laid vicarious siege small blame to her for that indomitable cross-examiner mrs wilkins wife and manager of the veteran ranker now serving as post quartermaster had wormed out of mrs hay the admission that nanette had no fortune She was the only daughter of a half-brother, very dear to Mrs. Hay, whom she had lost, she said, long years before. To do her justice it was quite apparent that Miss Flower was no party to the plan, for though she beamed on Webb as she did on all, she frankly showed her preference for the younger officers, who could dance as well as ride, and either dancing or riding was her glory." she danced like a sylph she seemed to float about the room as though on air she rode superbly and shirked no leap that even ray and field took with lowered hands and close gripping knees she was joyous laughing radiant with all the officers and fairly glowed with cordiality for all the women but it speedily developed that she would rather dance with field than any of the others probably because he was by far the best waltzer, and to ride with him because, Ray expected, there was none to excel him in the saddle. Ten days had she been a train, and within that time had become as thoroughly at ease and home as though it had been her abiding place since babyhood, it was plain to see that Big Bill Hay almost worshipped this lovely protege of the wife he more than worshipped. It was plain to see that Webb uneasily held aloof, as though fearful of singeing his shrivelling wings. It was plain to see that the hitherto indomitable Mrs. Wilkins was puzzled. It was not so plain to see that there were two women at the post on whom Miss Flowers' charms made slight impression, Madame Blake and Ray, two wise young matrons, who were known to have few secrets from each other and no intimacies, or rather no confidences, with any other woman at Fort Frayne, Mrs. Dade possibly accepted. But what they thought their liege lord stood ready to swear to, and it was to them Webb turned in his perplexity when it became apparent that his young adjutant was ensnared. It was to Ray he promptly opened his heart, as that veteran of a dozen Indian campaigns, then drawing his fourth fogey, came hastening out to join the commander. "'Here's confirmation of the telegram. Read that, Ray,' said Webb, handing him the despatch from Fort Beecher. "'Then come with me to Fields. He's missing.' "'Missing?' cried Ray in consternation, as he hurriedly opened the page. "'In God's name, what do you mean?' "'I mean he isn't in quarters and hasn't been in bed tonight. "'Now I need him, and it's two o'clock.' "'Even as he spoke, the voice of the sentry at the guard-house "'rang out the watch-call through the still and sparkling night.' it was taken up by number two back of the storehouses and his all's well was still echoing among the foothills prolonged and powerful when number three down at the quartermaster's corral began his soldier's song and so alert cheery reassuring the sentries sent their deep-voiced assurance on its unbroken round to the waking guardian at the southwest angle and as his final all's well went rolling away over the bluff stream and prairie, Ray lifted a grave and anxious face from the fateful paper. Lame wolf out? That's bad in itself. He's old Red Cloud's nephew and a brute at best. Stabbers people there yet? he suddenly asked, whirling on his heel and gazing westward. "'Can't make out, even with my glasses. "'All dark as pitch among the cottonwoods. "'But Kennedy, who made the ride, "'says he saw smokes back of Eagle Butte just before sunset. "'Then you can bet they won't be there at dawn, "'the warriors, at least. "'Of course the women, the kids, and old men will stay, "'if only for a blind. "'He had forty fighting men, "'and wolf has got at least two hundred. "'What started the row?' THE ARREST OF THOSE TWO YOUNG BUCKS ON CHARGE OF KILLING Finn, THE SHEEP-HERDER ON THE PINEY LAST WEEK. I DON'T BELIEVE THE Sioux BEGAN IT. THERE'S A BAD LOT AMONG THOSE DAMN RUSTLERS,' said Webb, SNAPPING THE GLASS INTO ITS WELL-WORN CASE. BUT NO MATTER WHO STARTS, WE HAVE TO FINISH IT. OLD PLOTTER IS WORRIED AND WANTS HELP. RECKON' I'LL HAVE TO SEND YOU, RAY. READY WHENEVER YOU SAY, SIR was the prompt and soldierly reply. Even marriage had not taken the edge from Ray's keen zest for campaigning. "'Shall I have out my sergeant and cooks at once? We'll need to take rations.' "'Yes, but wait with me till I wire the chief at Laramie. Come to the office.' So saying, the post-commander turned and strode away. The captain glanced at the upper window, where the light now dimly burned, but blind and window were open, and a woman's form appeared. "'It's all right, matey,' called the captain softly. "'May have to start out on scout at daybreak, that's all. Home soon.' And, with the reassuring wave of the hand, turned again to his stanch friend and commander. "'I hate to send you—again,' said Webb. "'You were out in June, and the others have had only short scouts since.' don't bother what's a cavalryman for shall we i can't believe it somehow and ray stopped glanced inquiringly at the major and then nodded toward the doorway of the third house on the row the ground floor was occupied by field as his quarters the upstairs room by putney and ross come in said the major briefly and pushing through the gate they softly entered the dark hallway and struck a light in the front room a wood fire was smoldering on the andirons in and the wide brick chimney place an open book face downward was on the center table two embroidered slippers lay as though hurriedly kicked off one under the sofa beyond the mantelpiece the other halfway across the worn carpet striking another match at the doorway ray passed on to the little inner room the bedchamber. on the bed carelessly thrown were the young officer's best and newest forage cap undress uniform coat and trousers he had used them during the evening when calling at the hays on the floor were the enameled leather buttoned boots he wore on such occasions the bed was otherwise untouched Other boots and shoes in orderly row stood against the wall beside the plain, unpainted wardrobe. The spurred riding-boots and the knee-tight breeches were gone. Turning back to the front room, Ray found the Major, his face gray and disturbed, holding forth to him an open envelope. Ray took it and glanced at the superscription. Lieutenant Beverly Field, Fort Frayne and returned it without a word. Both knew the strange, angular, slashing handwriting at a glance, for both had seen and remarked it before. It was Nanette Flowers. Dropping the envelope on the table, he had found it on the floor, Webb led the way to the open air. There was then no time to compare views. There stood the sergeant. "'Sir!' "'said he, with a snap of the gloved left hand "'at the brown tube nestling in the hollow of the shoulder. "'Number five reports that he has heard galloping hoof-beats "'up the bench twice in the last half-hour, "'and though he saw distant horsemen, three, "'couldn't say whether they were Indians or cowboys.' "'Very good, sergeant,' was the major's brief answer. "'Send for the telegraph operator and my orderly.' "'The sergeant turned.' One moment, called Ray. Your pardon, Major. My first sergeant, too, and-Sergeant, have any sentries reported horses taken out from the stables tonight? Not one, sir. And stanch and sturdy, the commander of the guard stood ready to vouch for his men. That's all. A quick salute, a face to the right about, and the sergeant was gone. Webb turned and looked inquiringly at Ray. I asked, sir, was that officer's brief explanation, because wherever Field has gone he wore riding-dress. End of chapter 2